Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 44. Hi, everyone, my beautiful community of listeners, that is. It's so great to be back with you again this week on the podcast. I have to say, it's been so much fun moving to a weekly format for this show because I feel like I get to continue the conversation with you week to week rather than only two times a month like I did the first two seasons. And if you're enjoying this new format of the show, I'd be so grateful if you take just a minute to leave a review so that more people can find it. You know, your reviews are the most important thing that will help grow this show. So if you already haven't done so, please pause the podcast and hit the link in the show notes to take just a minute to leave a five-star review with a few sentences about how the podcast has helped you. Okay, let's get back to this episode as we continue on the journey of exploring movement as medicine. Now, in this episode, I talk with my teacher, mentor, and friend, Dr. Amy Wheeler, about yoga therapy. And I have to tell you, if there's anyone who knows about yoga therapy, it's Dr. Amy Wheeler. Dr. Wheeler has a PhD in educational psychology, and she began her teaching career as a sports psychology consultant and yoga teacher to elite level athletes, including the Los Angeles Lakers and five U.S. national and Olympic teams, which is so incredibly impressive. Over the last 25 years, Amy's life purpose has been to educate people about yoga, psychology, and wellness. And she's helped develop dozens of yoga therapy research protocols at Vanderbilt University and has conducted many yoga research studies of her own at California State University, San Bernardino, where she's been an active professor of kinesiology for close to three decades. Dr. Wheeler is at the forefront of the field of yoga therapy globally. She's served as the president of IYT, the International Association of Yoga Therapists, and also serves as principal faculty for the Loyola Marymount Yoga Therapy Program, which is the first master's program in yoga in the United States. She also founded the Optimal State Yoga Therapy Schools, one of the first accredited programs of yoga therapy, for which she also wrote 865 hours of curriculum. I know because I took the program. (laughs) In addition, Amy is the author of 14 training manuals, seven children's books, hosts the popular podcast Yoga Therapy Hour, And as if that's not enough, she's also developed a mobile app that she hopes will change the future of mental health on a worldwide scale. And that's coming in two months in May of this year. In our conversation, Amy shares her journey of discovering yoga in her 20s and the personal crisis that led her to India, not just once, but multiple times for intense yoga training that transformed her life and set her on the path of yoga therapy. She talks about coming to yoga for the physical practice, which I know so many of us do, only to discover that yoga is so much more than the postures, that the medicine of movement in yoga led her to the medicine of yoga. And we talk about what yoga is and what it's not. 
and we dive deep into the differences between the various tools of yoga that are used in yoga therapy. This is a really special episode to me because Amy was one of my first teachers when I started my three-year-long yoga therapy training. And she generously shared her classroom with me to teach what eventually became the basis of my first book, The Health Catalyst, and the premise of this podcast. Since then, she's become a mentor, a dear friend, and one of the biggest supporters of my work, for which I am so incredibly grateful. I'm so deeply honored to share with you my conversation with Dr. Amy Wheeler about yoga therapy and using movement as medicine. Well, Amy, I am so excited to have you on my podcast. We've been trying to do this for a while and you are one of my favorite people in the world, one of my mentors, my teachers, and a dear friend. And so I'm just so grateful that you took the time to do this with me. So thank you for being here. I feel that same about you, Avanti. I, I think of you and Kanwar and your children so often, and I feel like we're so far away, especially with the pandemic, not being able to just jump around and, and see people as we'd like. And I really miss you. I, miss I know. You. I know we used to do for a few years there when I was in my yoga therapy training, which you were one of the faculty members of, we were seeing each other quite often, but then we had made a pact to see each other once a year and then the pandemic happened. So we have to gotta get back to, we got to get back to that this year. So that's a promise to you. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, we should look at our calendars early. You know how we, we will. are. We will. So, you know, I really wanted for us to talk about obviously yoga therapy, because that's actually something very dear to me. It's your life's work. Um, and it's really important. I think that we talk about that, but before we get into all things yoga therapy and this idea of, you know, movement as medicine is really what mm -hmm. I'm trying to focus on this month on the podcast is I really want to start with just talking about you and telling my listeners about you, anything that you'd like to share. But, you know, one of my biggest questions for you is, you know, how did you, a girl from the Midwest, end up in a yoga training in India? Like, how did that happen? That's, no one's ever asked me that question. You know, my, my father is a Christian minister. And I think when I decided to go to India the first time in 2001, I think he was a little taken back. He didn't really know what yoga was. And he knew I was very interested in all world religions, that that was like a, a really strong um, interest of mine throughout college. And um you know, I, I basically went through a really hard time in my life. I, I was going through a divorce and I was like, I have no answers. I don't understand what just happened to me. It was such a shock to, to be, you know, 30 years old and, and having that situation. And so I initially tried to go to a different yoga ashram that was much more physical because I was a college heptathlete. So I was like a really sturdy, you know, athlete. Mm -hmm. And I, in my head, I thought yoga is asana or the postures, but that yoga ashram was full. And so I ended up going to the teacher of that person, the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram. And I didn't, I didn't really know what was going to be there, but when I got there, I found out that they taught yoga therapy, which in common terms, I call the 2000 year old science of embodied joy. That's what I'm calling it now. Mm. And, Love you know, that. we did things like pranayama or breathing 
exercises. We did meditation. We did sound. We talked about lifestyle. We learned yoga philosophy. And I just ate it up. Like within three days, I'm like, I'm done with the physical yoga. Like, I I don't know who wants that when you can have this kind of nectar. And that was what, 21 years ago, I've gone back seven times. And of course, now my teachers are teaching online. So that makes it very easy with the pandemic. And I've never looked back. I feel like yoga therapy is what the world needs. That's amazing. So, so many things I want to ask you about. So let's go back to why yoga? I mean, why was it yoga that, you know, you're going through this difficult time in your life? Were you already practicing yoga back in the United States? Like, why did you decide to do that as sort of a way to maybe make sense of, of the situation that you were in at that time? I think so many of us have this happen that we come to yoga thinking it's going to be exercise, but the peace that comes by the end of the class, it, it just grabs your attention. It's like nothing we've ever felt before. And, and you know, that it's more than physical because we've all been going to the gym Mm -hmm. and, you know, being a heptathlete and we never got that piece. And in fact, I think what it taught me was that mindless exercise for the sake of trying to look good or run fast actually took me away from my piece. It was, it was, you know, all that running was trying to escape the feelings that were happening inside. And so when I came to yoga, I I felt this embodied peacefulness for the first, maybe the first time in my life. And I kept asking my teachers, what is this? How does this work? What's the mechanism? Like I wanted to scientifically figure out like, how is this possible that you can walk in feeling so horrible? And then an hour later, you feel totally different. And at the time I was studying with Western teachers in the very beginning, and they couldn't really explain to me because I'm not sure they even knew the ancient texts, which clearly define the mechanism and how it works and why it works. And so I didn't know why, but I just wanted to keep doing it. And, you know, after going through this very surprising life event of a divorce as a young woman, I just, I felt like everything I knew crumbled underneath me. And even, you know, I'm not, I love Christianity. I love Jesus, but there was, there was church and then there was sport and never the two shall mix. You, you did, you know, church on Sunday morning and then you ran every afternoon, but yoga seemed to me like some interesting marriage of spirituality and embodiment and feeling good in your body and helping with anxiety and depression. Like it was a one-shot deal. Like you got mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. So let's back up a little more. So tell me about your childhood. Cause I mean, you know, there's always so much for us to learn, especially from, from teachers like you, people who are in the health professions, helping so many people, teaching so many people. Again, like you said, many of us come to yoga looking for answers for different things. We don't even know why we ended up there. Sometimes it's for the physical, like you said, and then it ends up being so much more. So let's back up a little bit and tell me a little bit about your childhood growing up, anything you'd like to share. Mm, Well, I, I grew up as the youngest child of a Christian minister's family and, and they were very Christian, but Mm -hmm. liberal, not, not super conservative Christian. I mean, my, my father led, you know, women's rights, uh, rights, social justice, March with Martin Luther King, 
in the streets of Milwaukee and eventually ended his career with LGBTQIA rights and making sure people, um, all, all people could be ministers and youth directors. So, you know, when I say a Christian minister, take that with a grain of salt, because it was very, very liberal upbringing and continues to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something in me that was always different than the other kids. And I'll just tell one quick story. I found a few years ago, my mom had put all of my pictures that I drew when I was little in a, in an envelope and I was sorting through them after she passed away. And I found a, a big, like 18 by 24, you know, little poster that I had made. And it had a little story, a picture of a King Cobra. And I don't know how an eight-year-old from Iowa n- knew about King Cobras, but I, in this little story that I wrote, had gone to India and gotten to know the King Cobra, which I now know as Patanjali. And I was going to bring the teachings of the King Cobra back to Iowa and tell everyone. <laughs> okay. I just got chills because that's literally what you did at eight wow. years old. Okay. So now I'm in my fifties finding this picture that I drew when I was eight. I mean, how do you even explain that? That's crazy. And so I, th- there was just something in me from very early on that was, I guess, more mm, worldly minded. Like I, as soon as I could get out of Iowa, although I appreciate it and I had a wonderful stable childhood and I go back off and there was something to me that was a little mm, compressing Mm -hmm. and I just, I needed to explore. So I moved to Chicago for many years and worked as a hospital wellness director at Lutheran general hospital in Park Ridge Mm -hmm. and got my PhD at UIC uh, and then moved out to California and I, I think I've found my home in California because of the spaciousness, the open-mindedness might turn some people off. But for me, I really like that expansive nature that some, some people have here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you go to California because you were going to become a professor? I mean, tell us a little bit about <laughs> well, that. That ties back into the divorce. I came <laughs> out here to get married. Oh, wow. And, you know, long story short, mm, just a few weeks after I got married, I found out that my husband and my best friend were Mm. actually, you know, going to be partners. Mm -hmm. And it was such a shock to me. I was very naive. Like in my mind, that is something that happens to other people. I had no understanding and it shattered me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, I have to go to India and figure out what the meaning of life is. Cause what I thought it was, is not Apparently I had some flawed perspective here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I know that's hard to share. And actually, mm-hmm. I don't know that we've ever talked about that even no. personally. So thank you for sharing that. So did you study kinesiology before you went to India or after? So where does that fit in? Because you've been a professor of kinesiology for 20 something years. So how does that all fit into? I mean, I find your your background so incredibly interesting. So how does that fit into this whole picture? So I was a heptathlete in college and a lot of us athletes were getting undergraduate and master's degree in things like exercise physiology. They didn't have kinesiology back Mm -hmm. then, but my degree for both undergrad and master's was in uh, health promotion with a kind of a minor in exercise physiology. So 
that was in my 20s. And then I went on to get at UIC a PhD in uh, sports psychology Mm -hmm. because I was working with Olympic athletes and professional athletes for a good 20 years Um, in my, what, my 30s and 40s. I still do work with golfers um, one-on-one, but yeah, so that whole kinesiology thing uh, came before India. And that's why I say I was kind of an athlete looking for a good stretch and right. got to India and found so much more. Wow. That's amazing. So this is a really good point for us to sort of dive into what yoga therapy is. I think let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about that and, you know, your perspective on how yoga is defined in Western culture and then what yoga therapy is and how it, I know we both agree about this, how it's better, <laughs> you know, this perspective of yoga therapy. Yeah. Uh, so I, what I believe is that yoga therapy is what yoga was originally intended in India, that you would have a relationship with a teacher. They would look at your constitution. They would look at your gifts, your challenges. They would look at your life stage. They would look at your physical body, your, your pranic body, your breath, your personality, your emotions, your connection or disconnection from spirit. They would look at all that and then design practices, daily practices, both lifestyle routines, as well as, you know, postures and breathing and meditation specific to help you find your joy. And sometimes that means we have to dig ourselves out of suffering first. So, you know, that could be stage one. And then stage two is kind of the the flourishing of you as a human. So I believe that's what yoga originally was but as we know when yoga came to the west it came with people like the beatles and they had these big huge concerts of like 2000 people ready to rock and roll and they'd bring a, a yoga master on stage for the warm up and have everybody do sun salutations and you know yoga postures out you know these were outdoor um venues and that was the birth of Western yoga, that and bringing it to the Hollywood stars as kind of like a Pilates yoga routine. And that was probably in, you know, the 1950s and 1960s. And since then, group yoga classes, um, you know, kind of for more fitness became all the rage in the West. And it is only now starting to mature only now. And, and, the reason I believe it's starting to mature is because people like you and, and many of my Indian friends are like, wait a minute, this commodification of yoga asana is not yoga. And in fact, in many cases causes more suffering. It's not the science of joy. It's the science of how to, you know, exercise yourself thin and beat yourself up because you're not enough. And push yourself harder and harder and harder until you're injured. It's so right. anti-yoga in yeah. many, many cases. Yeah. And to look like the cover of yoga journal or whatever yoga magazine in a yeah. contorted posture of some kind, which are beautiful forms and, and require a lot of skill, but that's not for everyone to do. And it's, there are very specific purposes for those different postures, which gets lost in the the glamour and beauty of being on a on a cover of a magazine in this, you know, exotic looking posture sort of thing. So I agree um, that the commodification of yoga as 
the postures as a form of exercise, you know? So let me ask you this. What would you say is the difference between exercise and yoga or Mm -hmm. just this focus on the postures versus what yoga truly is? So I, I cannot agree that it is yoga. The, the exercise postures that are not coordinated with breath, that are kind of competitive in nature, that are outward focused. How do I look in this form? I would argue that's not yoga. I know many would disagree with me, but no, I, I agree hundred percent with you. It's calisthenics and it's fine. I mean, I'm an athlete. I, I run every day on my treadmill. I lift weights. I'm not against exercise. I think we all need it. Absolutely. To me, yoga is this, the, the main tools that we use are postures coordinated with timed breath or regulated breath with complete mental focus done very slowly and mindfully as a way to draw the senses inward and to get to know yourself, whether that's know your physical body, know your pranic body, understand your thoughts while you're doing the practice. Um, watching your mind in meditation because meditation is not separate from yoga that is yoga mm-hmm. and and to suffer less to start to see your preferences your attachments your aversions your fears your ego identifications to start to use your practice on the mat as a way to understand your life and really start to create some new more positive thought patterns, communication patterns, behavior patterns. Um, and, and really, I, I want to say, try to be the best version of yourself you can be, but also try to be of service and take the focus off yourself. Right. Right. So you are a leader in yoga therapy in this country um, with the amount of things that you've done being the president of IAYT and then you know, having a full yoga therapy school and all of these programs. I mean, you've written thousands of pages of manuals to teach people about yoga therapy and teach all of us, myself included, how to do yoga therapy for people, um, which I'm so incredibly grateful for. Um, So what do you see as some of the challenges right now in the wellness world, in the yoga world, in Western culture that maybe that we need to really address when it comes to what true yoga is? Yeah, yoga therapy is such uh, an emerging profession. It's in the very early stages of moving from the science of spirituality and how to be joyful into almost like coaches to teach people how to do that, right? And so that, that shift to profession and getting curriculum standards and a national exam and maybe even licensure one day, um, that is a really tough transition. And one of the fears that I have is that it's going to get watered down, that it's going to turn into another kind of commodified version that you know, the, the bigger schools, meaning the ones supported by universities, the ones supported by um, hospital systems, they're going to water it down to a point where it loses the true essence. And then that's going to become yoga therapy. And then you've got a lot of smaller schools like ours who are really connected to the deep roots of their teachers in India. 
but it's hard for us to mm, support ourselves enough to, to keep it going because we don't have that big backing. And so I worry about that. I've talked to a lot of small school directors who are really doing a nice job staying connected to the roots of India and it, they're struggling. And, you know, I liken it to 40 years ago in the early days of mindfulness with John Kabat-Zinn mm-hmm. when, when, you know, Buddhism emerged as kind of a, I don't know what you would, a modality, right? And it had these deep roots, but now it's really been shrunken down to put a raisin in your mouth and experience the raisin on your tongue and taste it and feel it. And, and as much as that's wonderful and it's a great start, mm-hmm. it, it lacks, in my opinion, the fullness of, of the potential that it once held. Right. And so I guess the question then becomes, how do you meet people where they are, right? So there's these, all these thousands of yoga classes, like literally happening every day in the United States alone, which I find mind blowing just to think about it that way. Right. But there are thousands of classes. I mean, I'm here, you know, in Phoenix talking to you in a hotel room because I'm going on vacation tomorrow and there are yoga classes going on at this small resort, which, you know, it's everywhere. So how do you take that interest in yoga, even if it's for the exercise component for most people, right? Not all people, but most people. How do you take that then and move it towards where we want to go, which is to bring back what yoga therapy is trying to do, which is what yoga really is? How do we do that? Because I think that that's an important conversation to have too. Mm. So that's why I'm looking for new language. And I started off the podcast saying yoga therapy is the 2000 year old science of joy, because I think if we can reframe the question, when you hear the 2000 year science of joy, all of a sudden, for me, the thought of I've got to do a two hour hard ass, you know, yoga class falls to the wayside. Like, no, that's, that's, we're talking about something much more holistic Mm. in nature from everything you eat. And, you know, with your, your book, the healing catalyst, uh, focusing on kind of Ayurveda for the, the Mm. everyday person, Mm -hmm. that's where we start. But we, we talk about its holistic nature. We just can't boil it down to asana and I even have trouble, you know, I'll have a class of 15 yoga therapists in training, and it takes me six months to get that point across that this is holistic. This is, they're like, what about this asana? What about that asana? I'm like, forget the asana for a little bit, guys. You've got that mastered. Right. You've got a whole lot of other areas. So it's a very difficult uh, retraining. And I think books like yours are going to be the most helpful. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, an ebook coming out that Yay. describes the holistic nature of all of this because we just have to get the message out there. And it could take some time to turn this um, this ship around, mm-hmm. you know? So what would you say? Because I have a lot of yoga teachers who listen to this podcast and also yoga students. So let's talk about, we're going to go in both directions, but for yoga teachers, how do they if they're interested in this, how do they start 
to where they are without going to yoga therapy training and all that, how can they start to bring some of this into their group classes? Because the group classes is how they're sustaining themselves right now, right? right? This is their, this is how they're making a living. How do they start to bring that in so that they can move in this direction? Would you say? Well, first of all, get some training and get some personal experience. So for example, both you and I, we give yoga therapy sessions one-on-one. So I would say experience it first, receive it, see if it transforms your life. And then the next step would be, "Hmm, I think I want a little, I want to know more. I don't just want to know how this information applies to me, but I want to know what would I do with this person in my class or that person. And then there's so many ways, like in our training program, we have the what we call the the first 100 hours. It's just kind of a bridge or a foundation of yoga therapy that someone could take as a standalone course every night or every Wednesday for two hours, right? Maybe there's just a commitment to a hundred hours just to learn more and dip your toe in, right? Because the whole thing, the whole yoga therapy training is 800 to 1200 hours. And that's for most people, that's unreasonable, at least you know, at this point, right. But there are little programs that people can start to kind of join in on, but I really believe the very first step is experience it. Sure. Let it transform your life. Right. And then you'll find the ways to bring it into your classes and get more training. It start there. And it's, it's more authentic because you learn something about yourself. Like I had a uh, blocked saliva gland last week and it was causing me a lot of pain. And I contacted my yoga therapist and said, what should I do? And she gave me the solution, warm salt water four times a day, sheet to leave breathing five times a day and it's healed up. And now I'm, I understand, oh, okay. That's what, that's what I can do for a blocked saliva gland. Like when you experience that over and over and over and over again, you start to understand there's a reason this has been around for 2000 to 5,000 years. Right, right. And so what about yoga students who are going to a yoga class again? Where do they start? You know, how do they, well, maybe let's start with this. I mean, going to a class is one thing, but how can they start to incorporate some of this in their own personal practice on a daily basis? Read your book. <laughs> read your <laughs> book. Seriously, I tell people yeah. all the time, read about teeth book. Oh, you're so sweet. Because that, you know, getting some knowledge and understanding the holistic nature of our human system and how to nourish it, that's the first step. And then even the yoga students could get a private with somebody like you or me or one of our students and and start experiencing it. You know, when I look at my teachers in India, I've interviewed many of them for my podcast, the yoga therapy hour, and I say, How did this, how did you start? And every single one of them says, I was in trouble, my back hurt or my child needed support or something. And I received yoga therapy and it was so transformational that I decided I need to do this for my life. That's how it started. Everyone was a yoga student who received care. Yeah. Yeah. I think it always comes down to, you know, for so many of us who are on this path in different ways for whatever modality we come to it with because we needed to find a way to heal ourselves and we find something that works, that's transformational. And then there are many of us who are called to share it with other people, which is your story, my story, 
different details, but generally that's how we've come to this profession that we have. And I'll also say that when I came to it, I literally had no money. I had no, like the thought of a 1200 hour training where I had to go to India and like, it was not possible. I was not a wealthy person. So Mm -hmm. I told my teachers, I'll just take one module because that's what I can afford. And then that'll be that. And then somehow six months later, hmm, I got my tax money back. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can go to the second. Like I literally took it one step at a time. And then another module, I was like, I don't have the money to come. I'm so sorry. And they'd say, well, if we gave you a small discount, would that help? And I'd be like, yeah, (laughs) okay, I'll try. Like it wasn't, I never even knew I could become a yoga therapist, but I knew that my heart wanted to know more about this. And I would do my best to see where the path led me. Yeah. How many times did you go to India? I've been there seven times. And because I'm a college professor, I have my summers off. Um, now I have not been back for about 10 years. So mm-hmm. that those seven times were in, you know, the early two thousands. And now with COVID, you know, I don't know when I'll get back. And our teachers, I, I study with our teachers three mornings a week from five to six 30 in the morning online, Wow, which is evening for them. Of course, I love India and I want to go back, but this is working pretty well for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great that you can do it online and virtually. Mm, That's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. And so you went seven times each time I go to India. I mean, I've been going since I was a child. It's transformative for me. What would you say were some of the things that stuck out the most for you going there? What I love about going to India is the same thing that I, I feel like, oh my God, can I even do it? As as you know, it can be chaotic. It can mm-hmm. be overwhelming. It is so many colors and smells and traffic and yeah. great lines of people and and no order. That what it does to me is I just have to laugh at my own ego, thinking I have any control in this life. I remember one of the first times I was trying to, I went to the post office in India and I was trying to mail a a big package home. So I was holding this big, heavy package and I was in a a long queue. Oh my God, it was so long. And like, it was going to take me all day. And I started to get to the front of the queue and people just started butting in front of me and butting. So I couldn't, I couldn't make any more progress. Like I was 12 from the checker and they just kept getting in line. And I, of course, I didn't know what to do. Right. I didn't understand that I had to like elbow my way up there and, Mm -hmm. and be like, no, it's my turn. But like, in those situations over and over and over again, you just give up control and laugh at yourself and realize how small you are in the great big world. And like I said, how little control we actually have. And in the U S I think at least the way my life is structured, I have this illusion of control because I structured it in a certain way, but the truth is that's just an illusion. So that's one thing. And then I think the other thing that really stands out to me, and this has to do with the yoga teachers at the Krishnamacharya yoga mandram that I study at, they really have a philosophy that optimism and care and consideration and kindness and sweetness are the core of healing. That maybe 60% of our healing comes from being in relationship with another caring human being with good boundaries, good communication that will tell you the truth about yourself, 
but we'll do it in a way that makes you feel held and, and knowing that you're safe. And so that, that's what I think, at least with my yoga studies that I'm realizing it's wonderful to learn all the postures and the breathing techniques and the meditation. I'm not saying those aren't important. You need that to be a skilled yoga therapist, but at the end of the day, if you're a decent human being with integrity and kindness, like that's what the world needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I so agree with you with so much of what you said, but I think the thing that sticks out from what you said is this illusion of control that we think we all have. And I have to remind myself on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, you know, that hourly, <laughs> yeah, hourly, like, you know, this idea that I have control over anything I can, you know, schedule myself and have everything that I'm supposed to get done in a day and all the stuff. And, you know, it'll happen or it won't happen. And yes, India is probably the biggest lesson in that you have to let go of control. There is no such thing. So um, I think that's a beautiful lesson to think about. So, you know, if you could change anything about the way yoga is practiced right now, what would it be? Well, if I had a magic wand, mm -hmm. I would want people to experience the radiance of their own being. Because I think once you experience what we call sattva, that place of peace, that place of expansiveness and spaciousness within yourself, being kind of true to yourself, but also caring about everyone else in the world. I think once you feel that, you can't put yourself back into the group exercise box. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, we talk about it all the time, but it's not a cognitive thing. It's everybody wants bliss. Everybody wants love and light, right? Yeah. This is, could I wave the magic wand to have people feel inside of them, this place. And you know, what, what happened to me back in 2001 was I was such an athlete and I was expecting hard yoga. I was mm -hmm. going to the birthplace of hard yoga or yeah. so I thought after three days of gentle yoga, of breathing, of meditation, of sound, sometimes known as chanting, of learning spiritual texts, I became so expansive and so radiant from the inside out that I called my Christian dad and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I've never felt like this before. I feel like I'm floating. And, you know, I think he was a little concerned I was doing drugs or something, which I wasn't. Yeah, it, was, right. it was the natural high right. from these practices. And I think if people felt that, they wouldn't be satisfied with the hard workout anymore. Yeah. So do you think that that expansive feeling that you had is what healing is? I think that's prana flowing. Mm. Prana or life force. Mm -hmm. You know, my teacher recently gave me a practice where she was requiring really long, smooth inhales and exhales, like 15 counts. Wow. Just that long. If you think about Ooh. that, that's a long breath. And afterwards, my whole body was tingling. And I said to her, what, what is that? What, what's happening? And she said, the longer the breath, the more prana flows. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's right. The longer the breath. So that also means the shorter the breath, if you only have a two or a three second breath count, the prana is very contracted. The life force within you is very contracted and not flowing. Mm -hmm. And I would say if anybody out there listening 
just closes their eyes and sees how many seconds they can inhale and how many seconds they can exhale, that will tell you exactly if the prana or the life force is flowing well inside of you. Mm, I love that. Yeah, it's it's healing, it's prana, prana. I mean, life force energy is what gives us health and and vibrancy and all of these things. I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, the whole idea is that, you know, the energy body is the blueprint for the physical body. And when the energy is not flowing, when it's blocked, this is when all the symptoms arise, right? So the tools of yoga that are in yoga therapy that we teach in yoga therapy are so much about accessing that life force energy and helping it flow through our system so that we can feel this expansiveness, right? What right. a beautiful way to think about it, embodying this, this joy and this expansiveness within us. Wow. And that's why I love the 2000 year old science of yes. regaining our joy, because, you know, when you say to the average Iowan, let's say where I'm from, mm-hmm. prana, life force, you know, all the, they, they just glaze over. <laughs> yeah. They're like, what? And I'm not, yeah. I don't like it that we have to interpret it in, in this way. But when you say the science of joy, right. You can kind of see a light go on, like, okay, I know what joy is. How is a science connected to that? That's interesting. Tell me more about that. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, it's always about meeting people where they are because the language can sometimes get in the way of experiencing something, right. Which is why, you know, I really, focus on trying to not emphasize all the Sanskrit words, because I feel that sometimes that becomes a barrier for people to want to experience what yoga is or what Ayurveda is, because they're so intimidated by the words. And that shouldn't be the reason that they, they don't have access to this amazing, beautiful healing modality that Ayurveda and yoga are, right? And so I think that what you're saying is so important for people um, to be able to, to come and meet us and, and learn about these modalities that are so healing. And that's why I love your book, by the way, because <laughs> I can hand your book to people and say, read this and they get it. Yeah. Thank you. That's really sweet of you. It means a lot to me that you would say that as a mentor mm. who's been doing this for so much longer than me. And so can I ask you one more question and then we'll, we're going to go to a speed round because I'd love to ask you some okay. questions. I'm, so I'm a little worried get, about that. Oh, you don't have to <laughs> my, be worried My controlling about nature. <laughs> um, what do you think the medicine in yoga is? I think it's remembering that we are truly liberated, radiant, spacious human beings but the tools that we need to use on a daily basis to help us remember that are the postures, are the breath work, are the meditation, the lifestyle changes. It's through those tools that we can get a doorway into remembering who we really are. But the, the true medicine, the, the reason the prana starts to flow is because we experience the beauty of our own true nature. And that's not, don't think your way through that like just do the practices on a regular basis and that sensation within you will start to arise. Right. So again, the words kind of get in the way. It just, just do your daily yoga therapy practice and you'll, you'll discover 
what the medicine is firsthand. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. Wow. I have to take that in for a second. That's beautiful the way you said that. Okay. So speed round questions. Yeah. We'll end with Yeah, this. let's do it. Okay. Um, so complete this sentence. Wellness is? Feeling really good most of the time. Yeah, I would agree. What is one myth about yoga that we need to change? That yoga is a holistic science and not just asana. Yeah. What is something that people often get wrong about you? They think I'm an extrovert and I'm really <laughs> the world's biggest introvert, as you know. Yes, I do. <laughs> I think you and I have that in common that we do. see us. Yeah, as kind of out there, but really, we want nothing more than just stay at home and be with our families. And totally, <laughs> it's totally true. Um, what is one thing that you're really excited about right now? In May 2022, we have a mobile app uh, based on the Gunas and Ayurveda coming out. There's a free version, and it's a way to track your mental health and your embodied mental health, I should say. And we've been working on it for four years. So it will be both for Android and iPhone. And there'll be a, an ebook, about a 70 page ebook that describes what we've been talking about today in very simple terms for the common person so they can understand this science of joy that I've been talking about. Oh, I'm so excited. I remember when you were still ideating on this like we were talking about it oh I'm so excited I can't well, wait we, to see we that. sat at your kitchen table and talked about these books we wanted to write and I think we you did got yours done quicker than mine. <laughs> mine will eventually turn into a, a oh it book. will but right now I'm just really I want to get it out at the same time as the app mm -hmm. and um so it's going to start as an ebook Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear about that so we'll we'll make sure that we put links in the show notes so that people can get access to being on a list or whatever so that they Great. get they get that information when it comes out. Um oh I'm so excited for you. Can I say one more thing? Yes. You know, our yes. we we've been doing a podcast, which I want to invite you to be a guest when we can find this time slot. Uh, it's called the Yoga Therapy Hour and it gives a very well-rounded version of what is yoga therapy, but we're already at 20,000 downloads. Amazing. It's, it's just so exciting. So if you want to know more about yoga therapy, specifically, you could come to our podcast on all major podcast platforms. Amazing. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we link that in the show notes as well. It's a beautiful podcast. Again, if you want to learn more about, you know, very specific tools and the different teachers and the different, you know, um, text, I mean, everything, they go into a lot of depth on different topics. So um, I find it fascinating. So I'm sure a lot of my listeners would too. What is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? I'm grateful for my family and my loved ones. I think this COVID crisis has really shown me that, you know, running all over the world, entertaining myself is not as important as really connecting deeply with my loved ones. And at the end of the day, that's who's going to be with me on my last breath. Yeah. And I love travel. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> if, if I had to choose, I would rather cultivate deep, nourishing relationships rather than superficial, exciting ones. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think that's a, that's been a, a big lesson for so many of us during this time. 
going back to basics and really realizing what's most important to us, you know? Yeah. What is a book that is on your nightstand right now? The Untethered Soul, which is so good. So good. It's like yoga philosophy 101 for regular people. Yes, it is such a good book. Such a good book. Maybe I'll have to pick it up and read it again. I'll download (laughs) it on my Kindle for my vacation. Okay. Um, What is a song that you're listening to on repeat right now? I don't know the name of it, but there's a Nigerian uh, artist named C-K-C-K-A-Y. And I just love all of his music. It's very kind of got African beats and he has a beautiful falsetto voice. He's the son of a minister in Nigeria and I just love his music. So love it. If we can find the link, we'll put that in the show notes too. Right. So I feel like this is a really good place for us to sort of end our time together. And so I'd like to ask you, you know, if I offer up the phrase, to catalyze healing. What comes up for you? Slow down, check in, get to know yourself again. That's, you know, when I'm working with my clients, that's mainly what I'm teaching them to do. Slow down, check in, get to know yourself again. I I was working with someone the other day and she said, I don't even know who I am anymore. I've forgotten who I am. And I didn't give her any yoga postures. I didn't even give her breathing techniques. I said, read this book, exercise with your husband 30 minutes a day and call a friend once a week for empathy. That was her yoga therapy assignment. Yeah. That's where we're going to start. And we'll get to the other stuff, but just slow down and start to feel again. Thank you, Amy. That was beautiful. Thank you, Avanti, for having me. I'm so grateful for you in my life. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure and such an honor to have you. So we'll do it again. We will. And you're going to come on my next. (laughs) Yes, I would love that. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, Find me on Instagram at Avanti Kumar Singh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.